Good morning, everyone. Such a beautiful day. This is my favorite part of spring. <laughs> you know, the earlier part of spring is muddy and kind of nasty, uh, but right now it's just gorgeous seeing new life everywhere all around us. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us the depth of your love through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We often live like we are walking in darkness, but you call us to walk in the light of Christ. Through your Holy Spirit, wake us up. Help us lay aside our dark thoughts and words and deeds. Shine your light on and through us so we live like the day is here when your kingdom comes in its fullness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this whole school year, we have been teaching our way through Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, which is Paul's fullest explanation of the good news of Jesus. Today's theme is love for the day is near. So I invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them with you, or grab the pew Bibles in front of you and turn to that. Uh, in your pew Bibles, it's page 1365, or 1765. Uh, if you've got your own, you know, yeah, turn to the New Testament, go past all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and then you get to Romans. It comes up first uh, because it's the longest of Paul's letters. So Romans 13. Last week, I reflected on what Paul says about showing honor and respect to the people around us, especially to those who are in authority over us. The Bible Project has a, both a poster and um, videos that walk through the, the entire letter, and it shows how this whole letter is just beautifully woven together. I want to play just a, a brief clip of their second video on Romans, a little section where they're talking about what Paul is saying in verses or in chapters 12 and 13 to catch us up with where we are in the story. Remember the big picture. Because of their faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles are now together Abraham's family, that new humanity that's being transformed by God's spirit. And so, this is how God's fulfilling his ancient promises. Therefore, the only reasonable response is for these Jews and non-Jewish Christians to be unified as the church. In chapters 12 to 13, he shows that this unity will come from a commitment to love and forgive each other. Love will look like everybody using their diverse gifts and talents to serve one another in the church. And it will also mean humility and forgiveness. When these different ethnic groups and cultures come together in Jesus, conflict is inevitable. And it can only be overcome through the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. This is how they will show the greatest of Christian virtues, love, which fulfills the Torah's greatest commands to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So the good news of Jesus has created this new people and unites the church. Um, love is what prompts us to serve one another and to forgive one another and to be humble with one another. And it fulfills 
the law. Um, Paul goes on in verse 8 to say that we should owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul then lists several different commandments. Don't commit adultery, murder, steal, covet. Uh, And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If you think about it, all of the commandments that God gives are there to protect us. It shows us how God wants us to respond to his incredible, gracious love that he showers on us. Jesus summarized all the Ten Commandments and all the law and the prophets with two things. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Danny Gokey has a popular song on Christian radio right now by the title, Love God and Love People. And the chorus goes like this. Gotta keep it real simple. Bring everything back to ground zero because it all comes down to this. Love God and love people. We're living in a world that keeps breaking. But if we want to find a way to change it, it all comes down to this. Love God and love people. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Then why is it that we find it so difficult to love God and to love people uh, so much of the time? Besides this, Paul continues, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. We have uh, both in both of our kids' bedrooms, they have rate, uh, clock radios uh, you know, set so that they'll get up in the morning. We have it set to the same Christian music station. Uh, Cassidy calls it friendly torture. <laughs> because the, the people on that morning show are so friendly and outgoing, and yet Cassidy does not want to get up. <laughs> My, my roommate in college had a horrible time waking up in the morning. Uh, his bed was up on a loft, you know, way up near the ceiling. And so what he would do is he would set his alarm down on his desk underneath the loft. Um, and, but even so, there were so many days when he would hear the alarm, get up, climb down the ladder, hit the snooze, climb back up the ladder, collapse back into bed without ever even really waking up. <laughs> Not just once, but like four or five times in a row. The evil one would love for us to sleep the day away or sleepwalk through our entire lives. C.S. Lewis said that the devil loves to keep us fuddled. He means confused, tired, not thinking straight. The enemy tries to intoxicate us with too much to drink, too, much, too many possessions, too much information, too much noise, and too much busyness. He makes it so easy for us and so tempting to just crawl back 
into sin, right back into our old habits and comforts until we're sound asleep. So Paul comes today to wake us up. He says, the hour has come for you to wake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Now, when he talks about the day being almost here, he's talking about the day of the Lord, which all the prophets promised would be when God wipes out everything that causes evil and sin and makes everything new. Our world desperately needs that day. We desperately need Jesus. You just look at all the pain, the grief, the despair that fills our world. Not just from the pandemic that we're going through, but disasters that are happening and tragedies, you know, personal ones and national ones. You look at all the conflict that causes these things. Conflict between neighbors, conflict between races, conflict between countries. A little over a year ago, I was teaching a class on the book of Revelation. Uh, and that book focuses, oh, kind of opens our eyes to see the war, the ongoing war between God and Satan between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Revelation describes these cycles of plagues and destruction that are a little all too familiar to us right now. But just when things are just going completely crazy and you just can't think that anything will exist anymore, suddenly you're back in the throne room of God. You see all these angels and elders and living creatures bowing down in worship before God because he is the one who is in control, no matter what is going on in our world. The pandemic forced us to cancel our last two classes on Revelation, which are which we were going to look at chapters 21 and 22, the end and the climax of the book. Well, if you didn't get that far, if you haven't read the end, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. All forces of evil are swept away. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. The river of the water of life flows from God's throne. And along its banks grow the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. And at the very end of the book, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. And the writer of the book says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That day can't come soon enough. The night is always darkest before the dawn. Paul says the sun is about to rise, so don't let yourself get lulled back to sleep. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 24. 
He said, keep awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. The Son of Man will come at an unexpected hour. So what does it mean for us to keep awake? Does it mean we need to guzzle more coffee, Mountain Dew, or Red Bull? No, I don't think that's what he's getting at. Both Jesus and John the Baptist, the very first thing that they said when they were starting their ministries was, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. God calls us to turn back to him, to turn away from everything that distracts us and divides us, and to turn to him. After Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples asked, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought Jesus was going to kick out the Romans and bring up Israel and make them into the greatest nation in the world. But Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that our Father has set but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples watched as Jesus was taken up into heaven, and they stood there staring into the sky until two angels showed up and said, Men of Israel, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus whom you saw go up into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go. It's like they were saying, go on, you've got work to do. The disciples returned to Jerusalem and devoted themselves to prayer. And a few days later, just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit filled them and sent them out to the ends of the earth to spread the good news. Now it's our turn. In the reading we heard from Ephesians 5, Paul says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Make the most out of every opportunity. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What does God want us to do? He wants us to join him in what he is already doing. Our deacons are reading a book together called Joining Jesus on His Mission, How to Be an Everyday Missionary. The basic idea behind the book is that Jesus is on a mission, and he invites us to come with him. We don't have to do a mission for God. We just get to join him in what he's already doing. Jesus is already at work in all the places and the people that you come in contact with every day. Jesus said, open your eyes and see Fields are ripe for harvest. To be an everyday missionary, you don't have to sell everything that you own and move to a far-off country. 
God wants to use you exactly where you are. And it's, it can be so easy. One of the things that Jesus did was enjoy people. You ever noticed how many times in the Gospels Jesus is hanging out with people, going to parties, having dinner with friends, and there is when he heals someone or changes their life with just a few words? Jesus is still doing the same things today. If we want to be missionaries, all we have to do is enjoy people, get to know them, build relationships and trust with them. Not so we can then, you know, kind of find a way to work Jesus into the conversation and get a little another notch on our, <laughs> uh, our pole. No, it's about how, discerning what Jesus is already up to in their lives and then responding to it. it the authors of the book compare it to um, picking an apple. You know, if you go to a tree and just grab an apple and it's not ready and you try to yank on it, you just end up carrying away the whole, tree, the, the whole twig or even the whole branch. But an apple that is ripe will just come right off in your hand. People are like that. When they are ready, when Jesus has prepared their hearts, it's as simple as it just coming off in your hand. Apples and people can't be rushed. It's up to Jesus to ripen them. All we have to do is be aware and be looking for and then responding to what Jesus is already doing. We're called to show love, extend grace, build friendships and trust. We need to see our neighbors as people not as projects. We should have no agenda when we're having conversations with people than what Jesus is doing. What's the next thing that Jesus wants to do in their life? And how can we be a part of it? Paul goes on to say, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Push away any thoughts or words or deeds that divide us from each other or distract us from God's plans and purposes. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 5, where he says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord? What pleases God? God is pleased when our lives reflect his love. When our actions turn people toward Jesus rather than away from him. Paul goes on in Romans to say, Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. He's saying, don't just go along with the shifting morals of the culture around you. 
Don't chase after people and pleasure and possessions that just wind up possessing you. Don't waste your life in drunkenness and bad behavior. Don't let yourself get distracted by jealousy and arguing. Wake up. There's no life in those things, only brokenness and pain. God has so much more for you. Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Can we, you know, put on Jesus or take him off like a jacket according to our mood? Can you drape Jesus over yourself like an Olympic athlete draping a flag over his shoulders? No. Jesus is way more than a fashion accessory or a flag to wave or even an example to follow. He's the one who gives us life. He is the light shining in the darkened world. Just a verse earlier, Paul had said, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What if Jesus is the armor of light? Turn next in your Bible to Ephesians. Um, We've heard from Ephesians 5 today, but I want to look at Ephesians 6 with you. So if you're in Romans already, you go past 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then you get to Ephesians. The end of Ephesians, the last chapter, verse 6, describes the armor that God provides for us. Uh, Starting with verse 10, it says, Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, you and I are in a battle that we cannot even see. So we need the armor of God to protect us. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And then Paul starts using the image of all the pieces of armor that a Roman soldier would put on. If you think about it, every single piece of armor he describes actually points to Jesus. He says, stand firm with the belt of truth around your waist. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is the one who sets us right with God and with each other. On your feet, have them fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The good news that Jesus is our peace. He is the one who reconciles us 
And true peace only comes from him. Take, uh, in addition to, to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's faith in Jesus. Trusting in him that he protects us. Put on the helmet of salvation. Scripture says that Jesus that there is no other name through whom we can be saved. Salvation comes only through the name of Jesus. And then finally, take up the, helmet, uh, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And not just the written Word, but the living Word. Remember back at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he said, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Or I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of it. The word put on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the armor of light. So wake up, Paul says. Don't fall back to sleep and sinful desire. Live honorably. Put on the Lord Jesus. Join him in his mission to restore the world, starting with the people right around you. Jesus is already at work in their lives. How does he want you to respond to what he's already doing? The kingdom is coming. The light is already shining. So love, for the day is near. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.